This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. This is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today we have John on from Equifax Workforce Solutions, and our topic today is navigating this summer's new I-9 compliance deadlines. And so we're going to be off to the races. John, would you do us a favor and both introduce yourself and EWS? Absolutely, and uh, thank you so much for for having me on your, sure. your program. Uh, my name is John Fay, and I'm the, the Director of Product Strategy at Equifax uh, Workforce Solutions, EWS, where we are focused, uh, among other things, on helping employers through our software and related services uh, throughout the HR lifecycle. So onboarding, active employment, offboarding. But my focus in particular is on the I-9 form. In a former life, I was a practicing immigration attorney. I, I've spent a lot of time helping employers figure out this deceptively simple form. And if I can begin the podcast actually with a confession, I really do like I-9s. I, it may seem odd to express enjoyment of a government form. And my wife likes to remind me that I'm probably in the small minority, on this, <laughs> but I really do find them interesting. And I'm happy to geek out with you uh, on I-9s today. So what's been going on with I-9s just in the last, obviously with COVID, I'm sure things changed or at least probably in practice, maybe not the legal part, but the, in practice, things have changed. And what's the summer look like? What are the changes that people need to be uh, aware of? Yeah. And to answer that question, I think first I'll provide just a little bit of background. I'm sure all your listeners already know this. The Form I-9 for many years, it's always it's an in-person affair. It, it's, it's the longstanding rule is that when you're completing I-9 for a newly hired employee, you need to actually meet with them and you need to inspect documents, right? You need right. to actually look at the, the passport, the driver's license, the social security card, whatever they want to present you that's an acceptable document. And then, of course, along came COVID and the whole idea of a physical inspection became uh, obviously something that was just not possible for a period of time. And so the government, to their credit, came out with this really what I would say is an extraordinary exception. I say extraordinary because for many years we would say to them, hey, will you just allow a virtual review of documents? Use a camera. Wouldn't that be great? People are hiring uh, folks all over the country. Can we do that? And, and they would always say, no, that's, it's a risk. We, what if the documents are, are fraudulent? And so they would never do that. But of course, extraordinary circumstance calls for extraordinary uh, solutions. And so they came up with this rule that basically said that if you're an employer and you're operating remotely uh, and you're hiring employees uh, during the pandemic here, you can virtually or remotely inspect their documents. You can do it by video. You can do it by email. You can even do it by fax. I don't know too many people with fax machines. <laughs> but hey. But hey, it's an option. <laughs> Exactly. We appreciate the flexibility. But the one catch <laughs> and the thing that I'm afraid a lot of employers, maybe they didn't read the fine print and we, and it's totally understandable. I'm an attorney and I know that people don't read fine print, but it was that this was just a deferral 
of the physical inspection process. It wasn't like, oh yeah, now you can just virtually review documents. It was, you can virtually review documents, but eventually you got to do, you got to meet with these folks in person to right. see those documents. And so now obviously pandemic went on a lot longer than we all thought it would. And, but now the government with the ending of the national health emergency in May, the government has followed suit and said, okay, guess what, everybody, you now need to, we're ending this program. So as of July 31st, you can no longer use this program that I've been describing. And on top of that, by August 30th, you need to do all those physical inspections that you may or may not have done. Oh, wow. So now they yeah. got to go backwards to whatever, whoever they hired. Yeah. And, and also well, I-9s also, if, if I'm right, if they carry through the employment, if you've let those people go, the, mm. the what happens in, in that situation where you hired somebody, you took the virtual documents, but now you've let them go for whatever reason, or they've moved on for whatever reason. Uh, yeah. Do you still have to go back and how do you, if so, <laughs> how do you get those documents or how now, do you verify those documents? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Unfortunately, the, the government is not turning us all into having to go and chase down rated <laughs> employees. So what they say is if you've had a, an employee that has uh, separated for whatever reason, yeah. you fortunately, all you need to do is to go back to that I-9 form, just explain, write a note, say they've right. separated and okay. write the date down. So they're reasonable in that respect, at least. That's, that's nice. But <laughs> the going backwards and going forwards, if the employees were hired during that period where you could take virtual documentation... Now they have to go and they have to go and capture, not not capture, but they have to verify. This is, sounds like Reagan. Was it Reagan that said trust and trust but verify? I can't remember. But so now they have to go back and verify all that documentation. And then with anybody new, it's got to be in person. Yeah, that's right. That's that's the big change, and it's just it's impactful for organizations, uh, really, for, for oh, two yeah. obvious reasons, right? It, it's because. Now more than ever, everybody's just yeah, remote. hiring remote. And, and and to be honest with you, William, the, a lot of employers, they didn't really, I, I, I don't want to say misuse the program, but maybe they didn't understand its full intent. It, right. the, the program was intended purely for uh, employees who were operating or were working remotely because of COVID. But right. nowadays, you, you have a lot of organizations that are just hiring and using this program, even though it has nothing to do with COVID, it's because they're on the other side of the, of, of the country, right. for example. No, and it makes sense. But so if they, and they have to have those files verified by what date? August 30th. Yeah. So if that person's been working in Topeka headquarters in San Francisco, at one point, they've got to get that person to come to the headquarters. So fortunately, there is a solution for this. It's been in the law for a while, not necessarily understood or used widely, but employers for physical in-person inspections can use what's known as an authorized representative. And so basically what that means oh, okay. is the, yeah, the employer can say, hey, I'm going to designate you know, somebody out in Topeka who is you know, nearby and you can go and you can visit that person and do the physical inspection. So there are ways. Is that an employee or is it more like getting something notarized? So it can really, so it's an interesting requirement because it can be, technically it can be anybody. And right. the government has even said so on the forms. So we've seen uh, in these situations, employers, and it really depends on the employer, sometimes they'll say you can go to anybody as long as they're over the age of 18. You can go to... You can go to a notary. Now, it's not a notarization, but you can go to a notary since they're familiar with looking at documents and they can do this. 
the, the challenge is, <laughs> there's uh, what I said earlier, there's so many rules with I9s. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, now you have somebody who doesn't know them. And ultimately, the employer's on the hook. Years ago, if I remember correctly, years ago, I-9s had to be separated in the employee file. This is 100 years ago when mm-hmm. I worked in HR. But at that time, I-9s, they had to be in a separate folder. So within the, or a separate area, kept separately so yeah. that people could see that documentation. Has that, has that changed or, or is there anything different with that? It's still the best practice. And right. the, the reason you, you remembered correctly, and, and the reason for that, by the way, it's a really practical reason. It's not actually written in, into law, but it's it, the reason you want to keep them separate is in the event of an audit or an I-9 inspection, right. generally you only have three business days to turn over those I-9s. <laughs> Practically speaking, yeah. You know what happens. If it's mixed in with HR files, good Oh, luck, good gosh. Right? Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. <laughs> but to have them separately, you just pull that entire file and go, okay, here you go. There. Yeah. And, and so what happens is then you, you never want to obviously turn over more than you need to. <laughs> so the first due date, the due date, is there, there was two date, two date, yeah, two due so dates? Yeah. Correct. So the the July 31st date is the date that you can no longer, for any new hire, use this virtual program. And then the August 30th date is the date they have to do those physical inspections of anybody who you previously virtually uh, reviewed. And out of all the folks that you deal with in HR, how many folks folks do you think that one out of 100 actually know the due dates? So it's interesting. I would say, normally I would say that the awareness is, of these types of things can be challenging because the government announces it on a website. It's hard to disseminate. <laughs> yeah. We've been, I don't know, I can just tell you our company, we've held multiple webinars, articles. We've done a lot. So I can tell you that at least our clients are fairly highly aware of these deadlines. But I will say, I actually, I spoke at the SHRM annual conference just a few weeks ago. And there are a few when I started mentioning it, that wide-eyed deer in the headlights look. I'm sure there's a few out there that don't know. Oh, yeah. And, and again, knowing and then doing, because here we are right. at the end of June. It's okay. The first deadline's coming up pretty fast. You've got to, as an HR person, you've got to not just change your process a bit. You've got to inform recruiters, hiring managers, everybody about how things have changed. Right. So it's an internal communications thing as well. Now, the second part is leans pretty heavily on HR to then get, now their process is officially different and now they've got to go forward. But again, that's communications as well. Yeah. And I'm actually glad you mentioned communications because I like to mention this whenever I'm able to speak on this topic. If, if you're out there and you're doing the, if you're worried about that August 30th date to do the physical inspections, Uh, I highly recommend a very good and thorough communication plan to explain to employees why you're doing this. Because in my experience, a lot of new hire employees may not have have any notion the fact that this was a temporary thing, that it was a deferral of the physical inspection requirement. And so they might think, oh, virtual review of I-9s is normal, especially when you consider so much of other HR paperwork can be done remotely. And so it's very important to explain to them that you're doing this in order to fulfill a legal requirement. And I say that only because one of one of the number one complaints that's investigated by the Department of Justice uh, has to do with I-9 related discrimination when an employee feels, hey, somebody's asking me for additional documents that I don't think it's right. And right. the best way right. that we combat that 
is through communication. So obviously the audience is going to wonder what, ha- what if, what if we don't comply or what if we just push the deadline, et cetera? Like what are the penalties? What is a, because compliance comes on the other side of it comes with, okay, if you don't do this, here's what could happen. Yep. And, and it's a great question because it's a lot of work and, and we always have to calibrate and measure risk. So the, what we've heard from the government is that if employers do not conduct these physical inspections, they will treat it as what's known as a substantive violation. And in the in, in I-9 world, which doesn't sound good, right? No, uh, in, the I-9 world, <laughs> um, in the I-9 world, we have two different types of violations. We have substantive, which basically equates to serious. And then we have technical, which could be minor things. Oh, I forgot the date of birth. I forgot the address, something small. They are going to treat it as substantive. And what that means is if you were inspected by Immigration and Customs Enforcement, which is known as ICE, right. they'll ask for your I-9 forms. And if you have not conducted a physical inspection by August 30th and they treat it as a substantive violation, you would be subject to a fine. And fines have been increasing with inflation because there's a, a you know, civil monetary penalties are increasing every year. But of course, we know inflation is, has been uh, making that even more. And so it's anywhere from $272 all the way up to $2,701 per I-9 form for a substantive violation. And yeah, and you might say, it adds up and it's a pretty broad spectrum. But what I would say is if you have more than 50% errors on your forms, which unfortunately a lot of organizations do, especially those that are doing them on paper, then you're probably closer to about 2000, you're at about that $2,000 per I-9 range. So yeah, it adds up very quick. A number of questions. One, one is you mentioned if you're still doing them via paper, which I would assume I, that's a hundred years ago when I was doing them, that's what we did, right? It was all paper. So assuming that there's technology that you can do, that you can capture all the I-9 information in? Yeah, absolutely. In, in 2006, the government introduced uh, regulations which enable employers to electronically generate and complete and store uh, I-9 forms. They, they, they then came up with a, a final regs in, in 2010. And so since that time, to your point, a lot of organizations now are completing I-9s using software, which obviously has uh, a lot of benefits. Right, uh, it's in the it. cloud. Yep, it, it's in the cloud. You can, in the event you're audited, you can actually produce the I-9 forms. You don't have to go running around to different offices, picking them up and Obviously, a lot of solutions that that we and other providers offer have error checking and other types of things to help reduce some of those risk rates. So sometimes people that I talk to, especially in it, they, I don't know if they get confused or if they uh, can delineate the e-verify and I nine process. So right. <laughs> I'm sure you deal with this too. So what's the major differences between the two? Yeah. And so the, the way I describe E-Verify is it's like a sister program or an extension of the I-9 form. But an I-9, of course, we all know it's required for, for every single newly hired employee uh, in right. the United States. E-Verify. And, what, and what's its purpose? Is it to yeah. verify the I-9? Is it to verify that someone's a citizen? What's, what, is it, what is it? If you could boil that down, I'm sure it has multiple purposes. But yeah. what do you, what's its purpose from the government's perspective? From the government's perspective, it's actually quite simple. It's ensuring that employers are hiring a legal workforce. Got so it. since 1986, 
there was the Immigration Reform and Control Act, which was signed by President Reagan. And what that did, interestingly, is it essentially deputized HR folks. They, right. they now have a job they probably didn't want, which is they're the ones There's a bunch of jobs in HR that <laughs> HR does want. <laughs> Fair enough. And so that law did a, a variety of different things, but for purposes of, of our discussion, it, it was the birth of the I-9 form. And ever since right. then, they now need to, to, they need to review documents and they need to review an employee's attestation and say, okay, is this person authorized to work? But of course, they're just reviewing documents, right? How do they know for sure? And so what E-Verify does, if, if an employer participates, is it then that gives them an electronic notification that says, okay, based on government records, this employee is authorized to work or, hey, maybe not. Maybe it's, there's a mismatch and we have to go figure out what to do. What's your take with employers? Should they marry the two? Should they have, obviously they're doing the I-9, should they use E-Verify? So years ago, I was very lukewarm on E-Verify, primarily because (laughs) it was a pilot. Technically, it is still a pilot program. I know, I know. But it relies primarily on Social Security records. And I think many of us know that Social Security records were not necessarily designed for purposes of determining work authorization. And there's a lot of errors in them, right? I mean, you know, just... Just simple problems like names, name changes alone. We know many times people get married, they change their name for other reasons, and they don't update Social Security. There's just a lot, all kinds of potential issues. I've been very lukewarm on it. Now, what I will say to their credit is that over the years, they have improved it. They've added additional checks. They've added a photo matching process with certain types of documents. And I think the real challenge for HR folks is a lot of states across the United States have taken it upon themselves to mandate E-Verify if you have oh, employees and operations in those states. Yeah. So like Arizona, where I am, we were one of the first states to require it across the board. And so then if you're a large organization or even a smaller one, and you've got multiple state locations, then it can become burdensome. It's okay. Which states do I need to do E-Verify? Which ones do I not? And then maybe it, it might make sense to consider having a uniform strategy. So I-9s are for employees, as I remember them. These are either these are hourly or salaried employees. Do they also, are they for gig workers or part-time or like where is the, what's the line of demarcation of where they need I-9s and where they don't? Yeah. So it really is, the demarcation is just anyone who enters into an employer-employee relationship. So typically where the I-9 falls off is if you have somebody who is a contractor. Right. W-2 versus mm W-4. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so those are the ones that you don't have to necessarily, you you wouldn't complete an I-9 for them. And so what government agency enforces I-9s? So who's the backbone of making sure that I-9s are, your records are kept well? So there's, because I-9s are so interesting and I like them so much, there's actually a trio of agencies that, yeah, the more the merrier, right? (laughs) The primary one that we think of often is that first one I mentioned, which is Immigration and Customs Enforcement, right? Because they're the ones, they're the ones with the guns and the badges that come and ask for your I-9s. So they're one, but then you have United States Citizenship and Immigration Services or USCIS. They own the form. And so they produce the form and actually there's going to be coming a new form coming out. They also uh, can, uh, own the E-Verify process. And then the last one, I'll just ah. really quickly, 
Yeah, which is interesting. And the last one is the Department of Justice Immigrant and Employee Rights Group, or IER. I'm throwing right. so many acronyms out. Oh, yeah. But, but, oh, the, yeah. but these guys are on basically the other side of the coin from ICE, and they're mostly interested in making sure that employees are not being discriminated against right. during the right. online process. Right. Yep. So you said you described a, a new form coming out that's in line with the deadlines? It's interesting. Or disassociated. So it, <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. It is. So if, if you were to pull up a form right now and you're hiring a new employee and you looked at the form and you looked at the top right-hand corner, you will notice it has an, an OMB, which is Office of Management and Budget. It's the Paperwork Reduction Act, which always cracks me up because the online forms have been getting longer. Yeah, yeah. But regardless, it has an expiration date that says October 31st, 2022. And so this version of the form that everyone's been using all this year is technically expired, but the government says, that's okay. We are coming up with a new form. It's coming, it's coming. They've given us a couple drafts. We've seen it. It's still not out yet, um, <laughs> but we know it's coming. And the rumor, this is a rumor, is that August will be the time when we may see the new Form I-9 version. And that form, the new form will then just go forward with new employees. That's right. You won't have to go back day. You won't have to go backwards. You, no, thank a, God. A, yeah. <laughs> so for HR practitioners, that, that again, these are good things to know. You've got a July due date. You've got an August due date. you got a new form coming. But that's going to impact everything going forward, which, again, is a, a process, an internal process. It's also a communication to make sure that you're using the right forms. I want to get back exactly. to something you mentioned earlier around technical errors. What do you see as the most and the normal, again, you got software to can detect where errors happen, but what do you see is where mistakes get made most frequently? Yeah, I would say a lot of times it is in the documents. So if we're if we're thinking about from a paper form uh, perspective, in when you're reviewing it, a person's documents, you have to write all this kind of information down. You have to write the document title, you have to write the issuing authority, the number, the expiration date, and in a paper world, for sure, people just they either forget things, they don't necessarily know where to find a certain document. Uh, sometimes they'll choose documents which uh, don't match what the employee indicated that they were, right? Like I say, I'm a US citizen and I show you a green card. That's right. uh, inconsistent. Right. So we, we do see a lot of, of those types of errors in the paper world. And then I think the other thing that's really just a huge challenge for organizations is just timeliness. So there are certain timeframes for both the employees part of the form and the employers. And again, to use that uh, negative sounding word, if you don't complete the I-9 on time, if they substantive violation, you can't fix it. You can't go back in time. Uh, and so that's another challenge. I, at least, again, this is a hundred years ago, but we used to have the I-9s done before they started work. Mm-hmm. Now, again, that uh, I don't know if that's just our company. It was Walmart. I don't know if that's just our company or just <laughs> the way that things worked. But what is yeah. the, what's the best practice for I-9s? Is there a certain time period in which they have to have the I-9 completed? Yes. So the, the rule is that the employee has to complete Section 1 on or before the first day of work for pay. Right. And then typically the documents need to be reviewed. The Section 2 needs to be completed by the employer within three business days uh, thereafter of the, of the first uh, day of work. And so the best practice, if you can do it, not every organization can do it, right. is as you describe, is to do it. If you can do it before uh, the first day of work, then that's certainly great. The only caveat is you just need to make sure that you have 
an offer of employment has been made and accepted. We're right. not allowed to pre-screen. But it seems like this would be a great thing to do in onboarding. If you're, you're doing it, if you're doing this in onboarding, it just becomes another bit in the many things that get done in onboarding. It's just okay. We're going to go through this process. Let's get it all done. We'll get you get your part done, employee. We'll get our part done. Get it verified. Everything's done, and then it's just, especially with a new form coming and a new process coming. Exactly. It just seems like that would be the best way, and so it doesn't. So the again, everybody's busy. The thing in HR that most people outside of HR don't they don't understand. They go into their week already eighty percent booked with busy stuff that they've got to get done. So like they can't go backwards. That's why all the that's why a lot of the questions I've asked about going backwards that's terrifying for a it lot is. of HR. Yeah, for sure. So last question: Is there any other uh, any, is there any other things I nine related that we should be thinking about for the rest of the year or even into twenty four? Oh boy. Yes, there's plenty. I'll just whet the appetite here because I know we're running out of time, but there is a there is a brand new rule that is being considered that would essentially create a semi-permanent virtual review program. So the one we were talking about was specifically for COVID. The government is getting a lot of feedback. And so they have been considering, it's in the regulatory process right now, a permanent rule that would enable employers to review documents remotely without an in-person inspection at oh, all. Interesting. Yeah. And so we're, we're monitoring that really closely. It's probably, not surprisingly, going to have several strings attached to it. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right? So E-Verify is going to be mandatory as far as we know. If you want to use this, uh, you're going to have to keep copies of documents, obviously, but they're, they're, they were talking about other things like, you know, required document fraudulent or fraudulent document training and other things. We did, so we don't really know what it's going to look like, but if it does come out, it would potentially really revolutionize and change this process. Let's hope it does. Again, you need, the process is there for a reason. And, right. I, and I'm not as much of a geek about I-9s as you are, but <laughs> I understand their importance. Yes. I get why they're important. And it would be nice to see anything that we can do to make it easier for both the employee that's coming into work, but also the employer to make sure that they've checked the box and they've got all their paperwork in order. And uh, it's easy, again, if audited, that's it's just easy. It's oh yeah, here's all the files. Go. Have a nice day. Right. Was- yeah, absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's going to be an interesting program. It, it's going to be one of those things like so much not in compliance. Every right. employer is going to be different oh, yeah. depending upon oh, yeah. your industry, your your risk profile and the like. But it, it's nice to have options and it's nice to modernize, right? It's This has been the same process since 1986. And yeah, we could use some modernization. <laughs> well, John, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you again for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for everyone listening. Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at recruitingdaily.com.